Welcome to The Kids Are All Right, the podcast that explores big global issues from a young and fresh perspective. I'm Noloazim Joacha, originally from South Africa. I moved to Paris, France three years ago to pursue a master's degree. I'm a news enthusiast and have always been interested in what young people think and are doing to address some of the things I read about in the news. Before we begin, here's a message from my colleague, Mega Thomas, who helped me produce this podcast. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. The Kids Are All Right was produced by a team of students and aspiring journalists interested in learning more about some of the biggest issues facing the global community. From social media fame, to the Venezuelan crisis, to climate change, we've reached out to young people and experienced professionals alike in order to provide you with different perspectives on hot topics. We hope you enjoy it. Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Kids All Right News or on Instagram at Kids Are All Right News. Robocop, iRobot, Westworld, The Terminator. Hollywood is obsessed with robot uprisings. But our idea of what a robot looks like and what a robot is capable of might be a bit skewed. It's 2018 and we've produced some pretty smart machines. Millions of people use digital assistants like Siri, Alexa or Cortana every day to send texts, schedule meetings and answer our questions. We trust our smartphones. So why can't we trust robots? Maybe it's due to exaggerated portrayals from Hollywood or maybe it's a primal fear of the unknown. Our reporter on this episode is Charlotte Krang. She reached out to two PhD students who build, study, and work with robots every day. Hi, I'm Charlotte Krang. I'm a humanities graduate, but I've always been fascinated by new technologies and how they change our society. The thing I've been worrying about lately is robotics and artificial intelligence, and how young people need to adapt to thrive in this new world. I got in touch with two PhD students in California in the United States to see what they thought about it. Hi, I'm Claudia Can. I'm a first-year graduate student at Caltech working for Dr. Aaron Ames. Our lab works on bipedal motion, and specifically I'm working on creating an exoskeleton for ankles that will help people walk. I'm Megan Tucker. I also work for Dr. Aaron Ames at Caltech. I do assistive rehabilitation technology, so right now we're working on a balance detection device for a cane, Um, and we look at utilizing different robotic techniques to kind of amplify human mobility. Why did you decide to study robotics? I kind of fell into it um, when I was in undergrad. I was doing mechanical engineering, and one of the professors that I had a good relationship with knew that the robotics division at uh, NASA's Johnson Space Center was looking for an intern on one of their projects, and so she set me up with that, and I worked with them on an upper body rehabilitation device, actually, and realized that I loved it. Yeah, I had a very similar experience where through uh, research projects at school, so when you're an undergrad in school, you get involved in different research projects across campus, and I found that the ones that really resonated with me were the ones that were making a difference in people's lives, and so that was how do we combine this field of robotics with people. Okay, projects that you're doing now, um, can you tell me a little more about them? And also, how do you... Okay, that's a great question. 
So I'm currently working on an ankle exoskeleton. If you look at current research, about 50% of the energy you use while walking actually comes from the ankles. And the way that we're going to test this is by using a metabolic mask. And so pretty much you have a mask that will go over someone while they're walking, both with and without the exoskeleton. And based on the composition of their breath, you can actually tell how much energy they're using. So ideally with my exoskeleton is you'll have someone who's able to walk longer or farther with less energy. So you're just as tired after, you know, two miles as a normal person would be after one because this is helping you walk. And so is that closer to the stage that the cane is at or not quite yet? So the cane project came out of the class here at Caltech where we were really looking at how can we use technology to help people who to help people with mobility challenges. So one of the problems with robotics is it's a very expensive field. So a lot of the technologies that we produce are never able to become commercialized because people just can't afford to use them. And a lot of that comes in with insurance. The thing that we were looking at in the class is, okay, how do we make something that is both utilizing technology but affordable? And so what we ended up doing is just use a lot, utilizing very simple technology to get the position of the cane and then using a vibration motor to vibrate the cane. What you're working on is more likely to be inspired by nature and other animals. I don't know. Like, I know that there are robots that are not inspired by nature, but is that <laughs> less common? Like, do we have to get over this bio hurdle first and then move into sort of crazier things? So my main experience with that is um, when I was working at uh, Johnson Space Center is I actually asked the question of why is this robot humanoid? Like, I didn't think it made sense. I felt like it would make sense if it had wheels or, you know, if there was kind of a, lots of different ways. And what it turns out is, especially for some a robot functioning in a human-built environment, is everything's built for humans. And so it actually makes it easier if it's shaped like a human because it's going to be able to do all those tasks. Mm -hmm. So wheels aren't incredibly efficient because if you think about it, in order to move, you constantly have to be spinning the motors as opposed to with running, you're just contacting the ground and then in this flight phase, you're actually very metabolically efficient. So when we look at nature and we look at animals and we look at humans and the why we do the things we do, everything has a purpose. And it really teaches us a lot about material properties and characteristics and motions and the most optimal way to do things. The other aspect of this which is really interesting is the aspect of trust. So it is really important for robots and humans to have mutual trust. The reason we like to make them looking cute and looking relatable is that we want people to understand that they can trust robots. You know, we program everything in robots. There's nothing to be afraid of. They always have an objective and rules and, you know, they're very simplistic things. And how do you feel about those horror stories? Are you afraid? Not at all. <laughs> Not in the slightest bit. So I think that the misconception is that machine learning and artificial intelligence means that your robot is just immediately able to do what a human mind is able to do. And at least in my understanding and my experience, is you very much have to tell it what you want it to learn and how you want it to learn it. And so I just don't think that it's a realistic fear that robots are going to come and take over the world. 
that also mean that we'll always have some kind of jobs teaching them or ensuring everything is still going to plan? Oh, yeah. Robots are so needy. You know, they need constant maintenance. They need constant calibration. Like, you have to, you know, tell them, like a baby. Baby, they are babies. They're, they need a lot of care. They need a lot of attention. You know, we're always going to have to maintain them to continue being able to work properly. And there's always going to be tasks that humans will forever be superior at. Like, ro- robots are inherently dumb. <laughs> like, they often fail. There's a lot of things that they really struggle with. You know, if you look at the DARPA walking challenge, the final of that challenge is just videos of robots falling over because it's really hard to get robots to do things that as humans we're very good at. Do you have any advice for either girls in STEM, I don't know if people are still on that subject, yes. or oh, yeah. just generation going into this field? Don't give up. We need yeah. you. Just don't get dissuaded. Yeah. I think, you know, decide for yourself whether you want to be doing it or not. Don't let kind of the ideas of other people get in the way of that. You know, do what you want to do. And we will welcome you with open arms because we need all of the women in this field that we can get. (laughs) So robots might not be as developed or as human-like as the image the public carries in our imagination, but still... Robots and the integration of artificial intelligence into our everyday lives continues to stir up uneasiness amongst many, which we've seen in the reactions to driverless cars or the humanoid robot Sophia, who made her public debut in 2016. Intrigued by this very real fear, we turn to Jeremy Wagstaff, who is based in Singapore and works as Thomson Reuters Asia Technology Correspondent. The fact that we allow like an Alexa in our kitchen, do you think that means that we all trust robots already or it's still going to take a little work for the industry to get people to trust them? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word trust. I, I think we have, um, it's, it's a kind of a, a pact with the devil. If we, if, we, if we stop to think about it for any length of time, we, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't tolerate it. We would turn these things off. I don't call it trust. I, I think it's just this sort of strange coexistence that we've uh, created where, in the same way that with artificial intelligence, any person in this field of um, machine learning and, and deep learning will, if they're honest, will admit that it's a black box. They don't really understand why these things work. Um, all they know is that they do work. I wanted to see how this would affect the way we work. I have a dystopian view of robots in the sense that every time people have said that um, don't worry about robots because when they they will just free us humans up to do more interesting work has never really been the case. They tend to uh, free managers and uh, C-level people, chief executives, the financial decision makers up to be able to uh, uh, cut back workforce uh, levels. It is always the case that automation reduces headcount, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think something like 25% or 20% of the American workforce, something like this, is, is actually their job or part of their job is driving something 
from A to B. It might be a truck or it might just be a, um, a forklift or something like that. And those jobs are, in the next five years, um, going to see a significant reduction. Those people will either have to be reskilled, but this doesn't tend to happen. The robots, when robots uh, replace workers, people do not tend to be reskilled. They tend to be uh, downskilled, I would say. And I haven't seen the numbers for this, but I would guess that a lot of those people who are um, looking after those robots um, are not really don't consider themselves having had having taken a step up. Often those jobs are not particularly pleasant and sometimes they're quite dangerous. Um, looking after a, a robotic arm is not necessarily a pleasant or um, simple uh, or even a, um, a danger-free task. The uh, better side of this, of course, is that uh, if um, governments address this properly, it does mean that People are going to be freed up to do other things and that there will be a very lucky group of people who are able to make use of that in order to create a whole welter of new jobs and new industries and new um, uh, kinds of ways of, of making money and that um, people will, will benefit from that. I suppose the bottom line is this. Robots can revolutionize how we live. They can help us learn better and heal better but no revolution is without its dangers. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But in the meantime, it seems like an amazing field to try out. You've been listening to an episode of The Kids Are All Right. It was a production from Podium.me and News Dakota. Tell us what you thought of this episode by tweeting us at Kids All Right News. How are people thinking about their online presence in the era of GDPR? And is a strong social media presence imperative to business success? We hope you tune in for our next episode on social media. We'll check in with reporter Ellie Clifford as she talks with students Libby and Amber. She also met up with self-made YouTube success Malik Obeidi.